Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is my quest to teach the whole New Testament as deeply and helpfully as I can. So grab your Bible and a beverage of choice, and let's take a few intentional minutes together in the deep end. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our passage for this episode is Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. Let's read that now. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. At that time, if you read around this passage and consider recent episodes, you can see that Jesus is pouring so much of himself into the disciples at this time. He is revealing key things that will shape theirs and our theology. He is preparing them for opposition and even the reality of persecution and death. But at this same time, the disciples apparently have a completely unrelated and frivolous question to ask. Matthew's account describes it as a direct question, but Mark frames it a little differently, that once they settled into their quarters in Capernaum, Jesus prodded them about an apparent heated exchange between the disciples as they were traveling. Imagine that for a moment. Quiet whispers about fame, glory, and greatness right behind the back of God in the flesh, and from the disciples of all people. We have to admit that these men were already part of a somewhat exclusive group in their context. Consider this, they are just 12 men out of millions of Israelites selected by God in the flesh to raise them up into a whole new spiritual community which would affect the world. But despite that tremendous position, all these men still felt like somebody needed to be in charge and that they should be the one. Imagine the cases they'd all be making. Imagine the things they would be saying to each other as they jostled for position. Imagine what they would say to verbally demote their peers and what lengths they would go to in order to elevate themselves. It's a little humorous when you think about it. It's also pretty dark, and sadly it's not the last time it happens either. Despite how we might feel about it though, our passage tells us that Jesus has a considered answer to their question. Now, I do like to think of Jesus as someone with a sense of humor and as someone who could be a bit theatric to make a point so I can kind of picture it going down a little bit like this. With a smile, he might sit them down and perhaps allow them all to plead their case a bit. And at the end, he grandly declares that he's made his mind up and he can tell them right then and there who, in his estimation, the greatest among them is. I can see the disciples' faces lighting up, their posture one of leaning forward with anticipation, all confident in the case they had made. I can see them all saying to themselves, please let it be me. I can see Jesus standing up and the disciples displaying false humility, closing their eyes and expecting an anointing hand on their head. But instead, they hear the door of the house open. They open their eyes and they find that Jesus has walked out of the room and then he comes back with a child. He sits down in front of them. He places this child on his lap and says, gentlemen, behold the greatest. The disciples may think they're pretty switched on to Jesus' theatrics and creative lessons by now. 
So inside they are smiling a little bit, but still missing the point. They know Jesus is about to make a powerful statement, so they preempt it a little bit. Ah, this is an object lesson. You've got another parable here for us, don't you, Jesus? You think we are behaving like children, don't you? To which Jesus replies, no, you are not. And that is actually the problem I have with you. The disciples were accustomed to a world where in all things you aimed to move further up the food chain and climb every social and economic ladder. It was about getting a name for yourselves, about being looked up to, about being followed by others. They had seen this in the way you behaved to gain favor with the Romans. And they had seen this behavior in their religious practice too. First century Judaism had become a corporate setting to conquer and rise up the ranks. Even the Apostle Paul in his previous life was able to boast of such accomplishments. It was a place in society where one could grow in presence and wield significant power and control. But Jesus was looking for something distinctly, counterculturally, and even uncomfortably different in his new kingdom community on earth. He is not interested in rung climbers and position jostlers. He has no time for power-broking in anything he is building. He is looking for people who will instead take the posture of a child. Now first, let's make something distinct about this. This does not mean being childish. A childish faith comes with a refusal to come to biblical maturity. The New Testament is full of passages calling for spiritual maturity and getting off milk and being able to consume the meat of God's word. Paul writes of actually doing away with childish things as we anticipate the teleos, the perfection that is to come. But even as we grow to maturity and faith and put off childish things, a mysterious development should occur that we actually become more and more childlike. The point Jesus is making is that there is a lot about the outlook of a child which can teach us about the way we should be engaging with Jesus and his kingdom way. And going by what Jesus says here, we really don't have a choice. In his words, this is the required posture for entry to his kingdom. We should, by all means, grow and mature in faith. But if our posture in faith and in relationship with each other is anything more than a child, Jesus warns us that we are actually getting too grown up for his kingdom. We might find ourselves so grown up that we won't be able to even enter it. So let's talk about being spiritually like a child, and I'll offer four quick thoughts to help us do this. First, children are transparent, and they externalize everything. Have you noticed that kids don't have an inner voice? This ability to internalize things takes a lot of years to develop, and kids simply don't have that ability. They are just not able to keep things to themselves. If you are a parent or a primary school teacher, you would know this to be true. Children are quite vocal about their thoughts and their feelings. They are easy to read when in pain or experiencing happiness. You usually know where you stand with a child because they are not inhibited in the way they express that both verbally and non-verbally. Adults are much more inward, aren't we? We're less likely to let people in, less likely to seek help as readily as we did when we were children. When we get into messes, we try on our own to get ourselves out of them, even if it means getting deeper into trouble in the process. Childlikeness involves delaying the development of that inner voice as we engage with Jesus. It calls for vulnerability and transparency before the Lord. One of the better-known biblical case studies of this is, of course, David in the Psalms. 
In Psalm 19 verse 12, we read that he is not afraid to acknowledge his hidden faults. In Psalm 39, he notes that he has placed all his desires before the Lord. He has held nothing back. And in Psalm 69, he recognizes that his foolishness and his sinful ways will never be hidden from the Lord. Being childlike in our devotion involves being an open book when we come to God, and the liturgy in the Psalms captures well this sense of openness across a wide range of emotions and experiences. We know that hidden or not, the Lord already sees it. So if we keep trying to hide or internalize where we are really at, we will lose a part of our childlikeness. My next thought, children are dependent. They are positioned in life to be in need of parental help. They make messes they cannot clean up. They have needs they cannot meet through their own ability. There are functions they cannot perform without supervision. There are places they cannot go to without holding a parent's hand. For a number of years, all their needs are taken care of by another. Once we hit our teens and look at adulthood on the horizon, we begin to fight this dependency. And in this life, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? We should grow up and become a little more independent as we get older. When it comes to our faith expression, there are certainly things we can and should mature in. Just as a teenager should know how to vacuum a room, wash a dish, mow a lawn, and cook a meal, a believer should know how to grow in various spiritual disciplines and in many ways grow up in faith. In what we know and understand, we are challenged in Scripture to move beyond milk and elementary things. But at the same time, our faith is always based on dependence. We are dependent on the work of another to ensure our salvation. And we are called to live completely trusting on God. In Scripture, this is called leaning into grace. The childlike disciple lives a life of complete dependence on God. To meet our needs, to heal our hurts, to correct our shortcomings, and to direct our future course. No more do we say frivolous, grown-up things like, I'll handle this situation myself. Or, I got into this situation and I'm going to get myself out. The childlike disciple acknowledges that we simply can't, and instead we need to rely on the grace of the one who can. My third thought, children have no time for power structures and the facade of human greatness. Sure, kids are competitive and they will have some sort of social construct out on the playground. But that's really the limit of things. They're not trying to conquer the world or jostle for fame and glory. They're just children who like to play and learn and actually enjoy the complete absence of responsibility that having power and authority creates. They are not calling the shots, they're obeying the shots of others. They are not ruling the roost, they're simply living in the safety of those who are. And I believe this particularly is what Jesus is calling for with his disciples in this passage. To be the greatest in our own estimation means Jesus no longer is. To be the one who calls all the shots and controls our own destiny is to deny Jesus any say in that. To hold all the cards in life means we are our own safety net, and this means we will reject grace and will ultimately lean on self-righteousness. My last thought for this time together, a child's identity is defined by their closest influence. According to one study, it is suggested that at four years old, a child is 50% developed in personality. That is such a massive part of their makeup at such a young age. That figure apparently goes up to 80% by the age of eight and 90 by the age of 12. 
The thing about being a child is that your biggest influence is the home you live in and the voice and will of your parents. These influences and voices are the controlling stake in what makes you, well, you. They shape your identity. In fact, it's quite a few years into your life before you begin to develop your own. Jesus invites us to engage with God in a whole new way, and it's the way that he himself knows him. Galatians 4 verse 6 says this, Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit that resides in us is also the Spirit of the risen Christ. And the risen Christ knows God as Abba. It's an ancient Aramaic word that is the least formal version of the word Father. The tone of the word would be delivered best by a young child. We might translate it today as Daddy. Childlike disciples take advantage of this invitation. They lean into this sense of sonship and they draw from God as their greatest and closest influence. They vulnerably know him as Abba, Daddy. They don't use the more adult word or tone for father. They don't use the rebellious teenager version or tone either. They don't use a tone that conveys independence or distance. They use the childlike one because that's how they see themselves as believers. So with all this in mind, I have one reflective question to ask. Are you getting a little bit too adult-like for the kingdom? Are you lacking in transparency before God, relying too much on your inner voice as you navigate the world around you? Are you getting a little independent from God? Are you shying away from grace and relying on your own approaches to your messes and needs? And if you can boast that your life is not in a mess, are you at risk of becoming a little self-righteous? Are you a little too enamored with human power structures? I see a twofold challenge with this question. In the church, human power structures can actually be quite hazardous. Churches can end up being places of power broking instead of places of worship. You only have one or the other with those two choices. So choose worship, not power, every time. But also, are you climbing corporate ladders and seeking leadership roles that might compromise your character or calling? Are you looking for leadership where others serve you instead of you leading through service? And are you defined by the influence of your heavenly daddy? If the Spirit is helping you identify any of these as a growth area, then he is graciously letting you know that you're getting a little bit too grown up for his kingdom. If this is the case, then in the power that grace gives us, let's heed the advice of Jesus in all this. He says this, change your outlook. We are being called to actively shift in our thinking and behavior. He says, humble yourself. Take the lowly position that a child holds in society compared to grown-ups. And welcome. In the same way a kid will offer their sweets to another or will simply allow another child to join them on a playground without making them submit to a hierarchy, be the same with other disciples. In the kingdom, we don't rule each other. We serve each other. And just like children, we enjoy life together under the shared care of King Jesus and our Heavenly Father. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about this podcast and other ministries I'm involved in, go to my new website, www.ministryinthedeepend.com.au. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube. So please like, follow, subscribe, connect, and comment wherever you can. 
I'll look forward to catching up next time. See you then.